This is Ragnar from Hellfro and you're listening to Brutally Delicious. Hey, you are listening to the Brutally Delicious podcast. I am Bruce. My name is Chris. Wow, that was quite interesting. Today, we're going to go to Iceland. I've never, I don't think we've ever spoken to anybody from Iceland before, so this should be a treat. And these guys are heavy as hell and actually quite quite amazing, this new stuff. It's called um, Hellfro. I wasn't familiar until the Katie over at Season of Mist gave it to us, but I'm kind of digging it. Yeah, it's heavy, man. It's like, it, it makes you feel anxiously heavy, which is good. Yeah. And I think it's uh, probably pretty cathartic for the time. So let's go ahead and uh, get, I think it's Ragnar, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Let's go ahead and get him on the line and see what he's got to say. Let's do it. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Sorry you had to talk to my partner. He's kind of special. <laughs> yeah, I'm a man. It's What's it like over in Iceland these days? Is it still, is it bad over there as well? Getting way better. Uh, there have only been like one to three cases for the past week daily, but um, on the fourth of May, they're, they're gonna reopen schools with limitations. But I think the the wheels are gonna start turning just a little bit. But the economy is absolutely fucked because we re- rely on tourism, and the oh, rest yeah. of the world isn't opening up, so nobody's coming here. So yeah, we are seeing some weird economy. <laughs> yeah, just uh, waves going on. That sucks. Yeah, it's a crazy. massive amount of people have lost their jobs. Yeah, it's like that over here too. Kind of, kind of crazy stuff. Are you guys doing anything to uh, engage with your fans, like taking advantage of the internet or something like that? We aren't specifically, but uh, some of the bands here, like uh, Mister Mink, they played, uh, they streamed a show. Mm-hmm. The, they were in somewhere in Europe, and they were supposed to play a show, and it was cancelled. So they just set up equipment to stream it. So that was very smart, but for us in Hellfro, we haven't been playing live anyways, so we have just been focusing on getting the streaming services noticed so people can enjoy the music in their own home. Right, so the record's only been out like a week or so, right? That's right. It was released digitally on 24th, and mail orders are going through, but it's not going to be in stores until June 5th. Because of the virus, everything had to be delayed. Yeah, right. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> what isn't delayed right now? Oh, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So I guess Iceland is coming up to its biggest tour season right now, is it not? Yes. Normally, this would be absolutely packed uh, with people. And for my job, I have to travel a lot. I work in telecommunications, so I have to visit various transmitter sites. And usually, I'm just in packed with traffic everywhere I go, but there's nobody. It's very eerie. It's like a post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same here. I get on a five-lane highway, and there's five lanes on either side, and I'm the only car on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like li- it's like living in one of those movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so weird. So, how does a band like yours start in Iceland? Because the population is pretty small. So, how yeah. how did you kind of get together and start the whole thing? Well, I'm 30 years old now, so I've been in the scene for a long time, and you it's easy to network in the scene. It's such a small scene, so everybody knows everybody. So as soon as you have some creative ideas, you, you have the contacts with so many people that 
uh, might want to get in on that or something. And, and because I've been in previous bands, I contacted my friend Simon to do the guitars. And he's uh, an extremely good guitarist. He's most used to playing technical death metal. So the the stuff that I am writing for Hellfro is just a walk in the park for him to play. So that, that was quite easy to, to get it on the road. Nice. Interesting. You said it's a pretty small scene there. I mean, is there places? I mean, obviously there are places to play, but it, most of your stuff has to be done outside of the country. Or are there actual decent venues to play metal? There are some okay venues here. It's, it's limited. I would say there are just like two or three that are actually good because they are the right size and, and they have maybe uh, sound engineers that know metal. It's, there are a lot of venues that are just a little bit too big. You know, if, it's not nice to have a, a concert and the scene here is small. Right. It's not nice to have a, an empty hall somewhere. So, But, you know, until maybe eight years ago or something like that, almost no band ever played outside of Iceland. So we are very used to just playing the same bar gigs again and again and again. You know. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. When you um when you're writing though um it's the two of you guys right so when you're writing is it conjoined are you guys writing together or are you writing most of the stuff and then your partner picks it up from there? No, I I write everything. Just uh, I wrote all the songs. He did some minor arrangements. Just uh, if he had a cool idea, we would add in or or change the lead or something like that. Or you know. Because I'm not a guitarist, I am a drummer, but I wrote the guitar and, and made tabs of them for him. He might have to change some parts to make them actually playable. But apart from that, yes, generally I just wrote everything. So I know black metal is is dark and heavy and whatever, but I still think at the heart of it, there's always some sort of message or meaning. Is there a message or meaning you want your fans to take away from after listening to a uh, Hell for a record or song? Not really, no. I would like them to just interpret, you know, lyrically. They are allowed to just interpret it as they want. But I would say the main goal of the music is just to uh, recreate maybe a, an emotion or a feeling or something that, like that, that that we have felt before. And we're trying to just transcribe it into musical form. And I think black metal probably, or at least in my opinion, more than any other genre is is really good at like what you just said, getting you to feel something or getting in touch with creating emotions that, you know, from that you felt deeply black metal is definitely a, uh, a deeply felt genre. Don't you think? Yes, definitely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head because it's somewhat inaccessible at first and it's hard to get into for some, you know, but in the end there is always this one melody or, or one part of a song with that it seems to hook people you know everybody has their first black metal band that they ever started listening to and it's because of this one song you know and it kind of clicks and i don't think it is because they are resonating with the message of murder and satanism it's because they feel this uh feeling inside it it connects with something and i don't know if it make any sense but uh, oh yeah absolutely yeah, but that's how that's how I see it. So, did you guys record this record on your own, or did you go to a studio to record it? We recorded uh, partly in studio emissary, which is a very very prominent 
studio here in Iceland and is responsible for a lot of the good stuff that has been coming out. Is that the we, studio we, that Sigur Rós owns? No, it's uh, an Irish slash Icelandic man called Stephen Lockhart who runs it. <laughs> yeah. And we recorded the drums. Well, it's like a mobile studio because we actually just recorded the drums in my living room. Oh, cool. Simon just uh, recorded the guitars and the, the bass at his home with his home equipment. And then it was mixed and mastered by the aforementioned Stephen Lockhart. Amazing. Yeah, as a record as a recording engineer, I always want to kind of understand, you know, the process that went into to making the record because oftentimes when you're recording, you go through so many different emotions uh, while you're tracking it that sometimes a song can take a, a different life on than it did when you were writing it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in order to to make the drums sound okay at home, for instance, I spent uh, a while. Uh, I bought some insulation for just to insulate walls when you're building a house, and yeah. I wrapped them in, in some sheets and hanged them on the walls. We were trying to get the warm sound because, you know, just to record in my empty room was a little bit, well, I wouldn't know the English words. You know, it's just like fussy, I guess. It, lots of echo. Yeah, yeah, so there was a little bit of pre-planning, and we had to figure things out. But you mentioned the Seguro Studio. I recorded there before other albums, and it's actually just five minutes away from my house. Oh, wow. Very, very enjoyable experience to, to record there. Well, it's kind of a neat place because it has it's kind of over the creek, if I remember it correctly. That's what? right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you been there? No, I've, I, was, I was researching <laughs> um, studios a long time ago, and it, it showed up, and I was like, I just heard Cigaros and and I saw them live in Vancouver, Canada, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder where they record because they're from Iceland, and I don't know of any studios there." So I went and looked, and I was like, "This studio is crazy! It's like built over a creek. They have like a vintage Neve desk in there. It's it looks oh wow, it looks huge." Uh, the location is very inspiring. Uh, it, there's literally like a, a small river that runs underneath the house. But uh, the building itself it used to be an indoor swimming pool. So when you are recording, you are sitting at the bo- bottom of the empty pool. <laughs> so so cool. Yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. But uh, Bruce, do you have anything? Yeah. So what is um? Shoot, I, I've been doing this today a lot. I've lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Yeah, we were all prepared half an hour ago. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so here's my question. I mean, how does – and actually, after we're done with this, I, I have another quick question for you. But how do you think that being in that environment of nature affects what you're writing? Because I think, black, if I'm right, black metal has a strong connection to nature. Is that correct? For some, I would guess it's different between the bands and where they're coming from. I guess like some of them – coming from an environment of this kind of urban hell, which can also be inspiring, you know. But it's definitely very influential for me. Like I said before, I because of my day job, I have to travel a lot and I find myself in nature completely alone a lot of the times. And, you know, if you're feeling any kind of somber emotions or you recently broken up or whatever, it gets like extremely magnified when you're right. 
because especially here there are no trees anywhere so you can see like far distances in every direction and you feel just very small and insignificant and yeah it's a special feeling that i tried my best to to transcribe into music because i think like a lot of the and i could be wrong but a lot of the bigger or more well-known um, black metal bands come from like cold, stark environments, right? Like Emperor and Gaul and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, but just like before, I, I think there are strong scenes uh, in many weird places as well. I mean, Greece has a has a very strong black metal scene, and they're probably quite much warmer <laughs> environments than here. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I I know personally a, a guy from Tenerife. And they have a very, very, very small, but dedicated black metal scene over there. And that's a completely different environment. It's just like gotcha. a, a tropical island. So does the music, is it, does it come out differently? Does that make I sense? Think, yeah. Well, that's a good question. I don't know if I could put my finger on, on the differences that stem from the environment. You know, but um, it's more, you know... Generally, like or relatively speaking, the scene, the black metal scene in any country is small compared to maybe a hip hop scene or whatever. So, sure, I would say people just influence each other a lot. Okay, very cool. Um, what do you guys have plans? I guess we have to wait out this whole thing. But what do you have planned after this? Um, you said you don't tour much, so you're just going to get right to writing again, or? I'm already writing. Uh, already writing. Excellent. I, I'm thinking about. Uh, doing some just exclusive shows I, I don't think we're going to go for tours or anything like that but if we get uh, decent offers for festivals or something like that we'll play them I have applied for some as well but mostly I'm just excited to, to write more music and, and I would like to reinvent Hellfro for the next album and do it a little bit differently see if yeah, just come up with a new challenge to write something interesting cool. How do you find it all right, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna. I was wondering, how did you guys get hooked up with Season of the Mist, or Season of Mist? So there was this. There's some uh, metal festival here in Iceland, and a lot of foreign bands have come through the years, and and also just PR people and whatnot. So they had like a what is it called a panel where you can go and and yeah, listen to these people tell you about the music scene and give everybody tips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was this uh, uh, Michael Barbarian, the owner of Seasonal Mist, he, he was at one of those panels at this festival. And I didn't attend it because I was drunk, so I, <laughs> <laughs> I messaged him later and said, Hey, remember me from that panel? I was totally there. Please check out Hellbro. And he did. <laughs> <Why? laughs> nice. That's, that's like the best story ever. And you yes. said it so calmly. You're like, well, I didn't I attend because I was drunk, and then I went up and I lied to him and told him to check us out, and he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, he meets so many people; I'm sure he wouldn't wouldn't remember it anyway. So, but, oh, sure. Oh, that's funny. Uh, cool. just get mad if he ever heard, hears it, because probably way too many people are sending him DMs to Facebook. You're supposed to go some official route, but I just sent him a, a, a message. Yeah, sometimes I mean that's what works, right? He gets so many of the official route. You may have stood out. Yeah, that's right. Well, I just felt that the music definitely belongs at Season of Mist. Like most of my favorite bands are or have been in the past signed to Season of Mist or yeah. at some point. So 
it's just a no-brainer for me to at least. I, I never even checked any other record label. I sent like a few generic emails to other labels, but just to the you know info at yeah. what whatever. Right. This is the only real person that I got in contact with. Oh, that's great, Chris. You got anything else? I don't, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yep. Be well. Thank you for taking the time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the interest and thanks for your time. Okay. Bye. Cheers, man. All right. Bye. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.